0: Hi, I'm Greg Knight. Hey, and I'm Ryan Parker. And we wanted to take a minute to tell you about our Popping Collar side project, PCTV. Each month, Greg and I discuss a random show from one of the six major streaming services. That's right. We cover Netflix, Hulu, Max, Prime Video, Disney Plus, and Apple TV Plus, so that you don't have to scroll endlessly to find something to watch. Think of this show as your personal TV concierge. Can I interest you in more dragons and beheadings, sir? Or perhaps you'd like to explore the stressed out world of running your own restaurant. We break down everything from favorite scenes and characters to do theology, and even the state of the television industry itself. So look for PCTV each month right here on the Popping Collar's feed.
1: Boom. So do you, I mean, Part of me sort of wants to, like, spend three minutes going over the New York Times top 10. Do you want to just skip it?
0: I think that we could say something about how, like, we usually go over the New York Times top 10. We usually haven't read any of the books. That's still true this year, only we don't think it was that great of a list. So instead, we're going to give our top.
1: Our top picks.
0: I don't think I can do 10, though.
1: I'm not going to do 10. I have, like, eight. Um, So... But um, I have read two since, so I'm going to comment on those. Oh, good. Uh, Let's do the formal start thing. Okay. Do you want me to do the hosting?
0: Yeah, you usually do. You do so good. You did such a good job.
1: Oh, we're just a, we're like a dream team.
0: We are. People love us. We're great.
1: Great. You need to just have PCBC take over. Hey everyone, welcome to Popping Collars Satellite Podcast, the Popping Collars Book Club, which we're going to shorten to PCBC because who has time anymore for full names? (laughs) I am one of your co-book lovers on the PCBC, Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California, and with me is my co-host Liz. Liz, please introduce yourself.
0: Hi, Ricardo. I'm Liz Easton. I'm the Canon to the Ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska, and I'm happy to be here.
1: Thank you, Liz. You know, we've got a lot to talk about today, so I think we'll skip all the intros about the weather and how we're doing in our lives. Very cold. Yeah, and here it's been raining, but it's mm. in the 50s, so that's sounds... Eh. Not... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, here we are with our first PCBC of 2024. And uh, we are so happy to be with you. You know, in the past, what we have done at this time of year is go over the New York Times top 10 books, book picks of the year. But, you know, I, I think, Liz, you'll agree with me on this. I, for the past couple of years and this last year, especially, we've been pretty disappointed with the choices that they've made. I'm not just saying that out of hand. Well, oh, a little bit I am this year. But I've actually tried to read some of those books, and I have. I've audiobooked them or read them, and they're about 50-50 in terms of like, oh, I see why they picked this, or why on earth did they pick this? And so I think this year we're going to skip it. We are going to skip the New York Times top 10 books of 2023 as a topic on PCBC because, frankly, we think that they've kind of gone off the rails. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So you can look that up on your own and read those books and let us know what you think. Um, Liz, you hadn't read any of the 10, had you?
0: No. (laughs) And a lot of times I haven't read any of the top 10, but I will have read from their first, they released like the top 100 and i think this year i had read like 4 of the top 100 and what i think you and i are similar like i stay on top of the new york times book reviews so i even if i haven't read the books i'm usually familiar with them and what was weird about this year's top 10 was that i hadn't even heard of i don't think i had heard of any of them
1: yeah i've heard of a couple but yeah, yeah. after
0: a year of daily reading the times for their book reviews right Yes. Shocking.
1: So I will say this. um, Since the list came out till today, I have wound up reading two of them. Good for you. And I just want to say one of them uh, is called Chain Gang Mm -hmm. All-Stars. I can't remember the author. And I'm not going to look it up. (laughs) Uh, Actually, okay, fine. We should be nice and look it up. I will say the one best thing about their top ten picks is the um whatchamacallit? The 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 thing they have, the image they have in the article. It's yeah. of 10 books like blooming like a like-
0: kaleidoscope. It's very cool.
1: It's so <clears throat> cool. Look at that, yeah. Beautiful. You want to look that up, reader or listeners, and <laughs> check that out on your own. Chain Gang All-Stars uh was written by Nana Kwame Aje Brenya. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I listened to the audiobook, and I will say, although it was scary and violent, it was pretty well written.
0: And yeah, I have heard a lot of good things about this book.
1: Yeah, it's it's depressing, um, mm-hmm. but, but good. And less violent, given what the premise is, than I thought it would be, but still violent. And the other one that I read happens to be the next one in order on the thing. Eastbound by Melis de, Carang- de Carangal. Now, I mean, this is a really short book, right? <laughs> it's not even a book. Oh. <laughs> it's it's not even a novella. It's a long short story. Interesting. And it was written in French in 2012. How interesting. And it was translated this year, which apparently puts it in the running, translated mm-hmm. from the French by Jessica Moore, and it's a fine story, but it's like a little tidbit. Huh. And I cannot believe that these 60 pages, I mean, they ha- it's a really small book. Yeah, I read the book, and it's like 120 pages, but each page has like 17 words on right. it, you know? <laughs> and I, I mean, come on. The Covenant of, okay, I haven't read a lot of these books, but there's so many books that people are raving about. You mm-hmm. know, The Covenant of Water, Abraham Varghese, The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by yep. James Bride, all these things that did not make the cut and this little book from French in 2012, long, short story, did? I don't know what they are smoking. That's um, weird. It shouldn't even be in the running. And yeah. so that was kind of the jump the shark moment for me for the New York Times list. So, sorry, I I guess I did sort of rant a bit about that. Uh, <laughs> so we won't do that. Instead, we thought we'd guide you through some of our favorite reads from last year because that's way more interesting to us. Yes. And probably to you. So, I don't know, how do you want to do this, Liz?
0: I think we should go back and forth. We should like go one at a time. I think we should resist the urge to talk about them for very long. Yeah. Because yeah. this isn't, you know, an hour-long podcast. <laughs> and then I think we both have recommendations for folks,
1: too. So yep.
0: that's that's what I think we should do.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So how many, do you know how many books you're going to list today? Um,
0: no, I could probably do like nine. I'm looking right now at last year's reading list.
1: I happen to make a little list. in my How list.
0: many did you do? I'll just do that many.
1: You know, I have nine. I'll do actually. nine then. No, I, I had a bunch, but I started paring it down because I was going to oh, okay. suggest five, but I couldn't go any further.
0: Okay. Let's do five. You want to do five? Yeah. Okay. You're just gonna gonna have to try your best. Okay. Oh this is awful.
1: Oh, you know what? Okay. I know one that I won't pick. Why don't you start, Liz? Okay.
0: Um, so last year was not the best reading year for me. It wasn't the worst. It was I read 41 books. My goal was 50. So whatever. It's not all about the numbers. Um, and I read like exclusively for fun. I just read what sounded good, what sounded fun. Um, That was about it. So I didn't have as many like kind of highbrow books as I typically did. But um, so I thought that today I would just sort of like make some like, I'm not going to say these are the best 10 books that I read this year, but pardon me, five, (laughs) not (laughs) 10. But I am just going to make recommendations because I think readers of all different types are like, what should I read? What should I pick up? So the first thing I'm going to do is name and so whole category is an author that I read this year who a lot of people have read. But I'm just going to say you should read her. And this is in the, the standalone thriller category, which is a way that a lot of people um, get back into reading is, I think, through that genre.
1: What do you mean standalone? Oh, it's not a series. Like it's
0: not part of a series. And I read, this year I read three books by the author Ruth Ware. W-A-R-E. What?
1: Liz. What? That's one of my, that's what I was just going to talk about. Which one are you going to do? No, you just do your thing.
0: Okay. So I'll tell you the three that I read from her. I read The Woman in Cabin 10. That was actually my first book of, um. Uh, actually, I may have read four of her books. So I read The Woman in Kevin Ten. Then the next book that I read from her was I was uh, the It Girl, very good. Uh-huh. Then I read The Turn of the Key, oh. and then actually my first book of twenty twenty four. I was sick with COVID. Was in a dark, dark wood, yeah. and next I'm gonna read. I have it right over there. Is The Lying Game. I'm saving it as like a um treat. And here's what I love about her. Sometimes a thriller, like I just recently read a James Patterson thriller, that was like the dumbest. It was fun. It was entertaining. Page turning. Page turning. But I felt dumb. I felt dumber reading it. And (laughs) they say they say (laughs) don't say
1: that. But I'm drinking water. I felt dumber reading it. That's hilarious.
0: But they say that the what separates genre fiction from literary fiction is that genre fiction is plot driven um typically whether the genre is uh th- you know crime thriller fantasy western like whatever it is or but literary fiction is character driven and what i like about ruth ware is that it is plot driven there are great plots in all of her books unexpected she uses big tropes like like a locked room thriller she has a lot of those Um, You're all stuck in a cabin somewhere and people are dying, that type of deal. Um, But her characters are well-developed and compelling and well-known. Minor characters and major characters. And that makes them really, I think, really fun to read. They have good backstories. They're relatable. They seem very real. I enjoyed every book of hers that I read this year. I'm looking forward to reading this other one. And then a brand new one just came out. So... If you're maybe in a reading slump, you're looking for getting back into things, I recommend anything, I think,
1: by Ruth Ware. Liz. What? Liz, you are awesome. <laughs> Everybody needs a Liz Easton in their lives, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. First of all, I, I said I was going to say this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Liz is the only person of all the people I've met and and been in touch with on Zoom or in person for the last six weeks who noticed that I got a new pair of glasses. It's the first thing she said when she saw me.
0: And they're very handsome. They're great. They're great. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Because William kept asking me, well, did so-and-so like your glasses? They didn't say anything. Did so-and-so? They didn't say anything. Anyone at the church? They didn't say anything. But Liz, the very (laughs) first thing, you got new glasses. So that is one perceptive person. Thank you. Liz, I have to tell you, you and I are simpatico because look at my list. What Ruth, where? The Turn of the oh, Key. The Turn of the Key. Look at that. That was a
0: good book. So I listened to it. Did you listen to it or did you read it?
1: It's all audiobook.
0: Yeah. It was a great audiobook. I listened to it on a big cross state drive for work.
1: So good.
0: Yeah. yeah. I was like gasping, like,
1: <gasps> like that. <laughs> no, I hope I don't. So I have read three. Uh, the three that I have read, you have read. Mm hmm. Um, and i'm I'm on the same thing. I just finished the woman in cabin 10. Yeah and that was good the turn of the key that's the one about where she's the nanny, right um yes nanny in the house it's all technological teched out. yeah yes um oh, I read and,
0: another one one by one. oh
1: my God well, I read that that, this week, that
0: one's good. That's about locked in a ski chalet.
1: oh my gosh. so th- the thing is she's got this thing about. People being, it's like, it's very, she's been compared to Agatha Christie. from mm-hmm. what I read. And, you know, where people are in one place kind of stuck, it's on a cruise ship, or it's like in the middle of nowhere in a big house with all this technological stuff. And I forgot what the other one. Was.
0: The other one I read, they were in a house for a bachelorette party. The ski chalet was another one. Yeah,
1: I haven't read that one. It's so um, I read In a Dark, Dark Wood is the one with the bachelorette party, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, the turn of the key is a nanny uh, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, the ca- woman in cabin 10 is a cruise ship. Yeah. She's, she's a good writer. She's compelling the audio books. I mean, I finished them in like three days. Yeah. So it's terrific. And um, so you've just made it easier for me. Cause I, I can eliminate her from my uh, five. My first pick in no certain order is a book called as meat loves salt. Ooh. by a woman named maria mccann and it came out in uh it's oh it's from 2001 oh now here's how i heard about it uh the author of shuggy bane mm-hmm. is a scottish writer whose name i can't think of right now
0: yes the winner of the man booker prize last year right
1: exactly exactly yeah. he was being interviewed i i've told this story on this podcast i think or somewhere he was being interviewed um, in the New York Times, and I think they asked him, like, what books are you reading, blah, blah, blah. And he mentioned um, two books, and one of them was As Meat Loves Salt. It's from 2001. And Maria McCann, it's it's a fascinating book. It's, I recommend it, but it's not for everyone. It's like over 500 pages but she immerses you in the world of Civil War England. So like the mid-1600s with Cromwell and King Charles and they're battling. And uh, it's basically about a guy who is not necessarily a nice person, very passionate. It's a long story. There are parts to it. But he falls in love with another soldier. And they have this whole relationship and there's all these other facets to it. I don't want to spend too much time. We said we'd do this in short bursts, but the book is it's so immersive. The language she uses. I mean, she her writing is sometimes the way William talks, which is how you know it's old fashioned. So um it's a terrific book. Um, but it's 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 a little depressing, and you feel bad for him, even as you know, he's kind of an anti-hero. He really um, does some not good things, and yet he really just wants to be loved, and he is so loving, and it's, uh, it's a fascinating book. I think it's probably the book that will stay with me for the longest. As Meat Loves Salt by Maria McCann. I highly recommend it, but it's sort of not for everyone uh, because it is long, and the main character is not always likable, and um, it does bog down a little bit here and there, but I found it You know, it's like a fully immersive experience. There's my Wow.
0: That sounds fascinating. I've never heard of that.
1: I know. I hadn't either. Uh, It's got a great, it's a great title too. Okay. What you got next? Love it.
0: Um, My next book is actually by someone that I know. (laughs) Barely. She's a friend of a friend. So like I've seen her at sure. weddings and stuff, you know, sure. um, the book is called mobility and it's by Lydia Kiesling. This is her second novel. Her first novel was called the golden state, which was excellent also. And this book is very different. And, um, it is about, uh, a young woman who grew up in Azerbaijan oh. right after the fall of the Soviet union, um, because her parents were in the foreign service And then it follows the rest of her life working in and around the oil industry. Again, very character driven story about how we end up being complicit in, I would say in sin, but in this case, it's about climate change and damage and sort of the political systems that surround that, but how a person can um, kind of find themselves justifying Lots and lots and lots of decisions where then they sort of find themselves in this morally ambiguous place of like being in the middle of this really messed up bad thing. And how <clears throat> I think it's a metaphor for how we all do that just by living our lives today. It's really good. It's pretty long, Um, incredibly well-researched. Like I could not um, like imagine Like, I kept wondering, like, did she go to Azerbaijan? Like, how did she figure this out? But anyway, it's very, very good. I've seen it on some best of lists. Obviously, it wasn't on the Times list, but we already know what we think about that. (laughs) And um, it was just fascinating, very immersive. Mobility by Lydia Kiesling.
1: She grows up in Azerbaijan, but is that where most of the novel takes place?
0: Um, A big part of it, There's the first section is about her childhood there. Mm-hmm. Um and then later as an adult she does end up going back there for work not to live but like on a business trip and sort of like retraces her steps and in fact encounters some of the people that she knew there as a young you know as a girl. Wow. Also an interesting look at the foreign service and I think that Lydia the author I think that her I think she grew up in the foreign service but like in Greece or something. I think her parents were in the foreign service.
1: I don't know. I love how you have all these books I've just never heard of.
0: Well, and this the- book I, I I know just because of her.
1: Okay, so yeah. you knew her before you knew the you'd read any of her work.
0: Yes, yeah, she's friends with my friend Hannah.
1: That's cool. Yeah, she's very cool. That's great. Well, thank you, Liz. Um, all right, what shall I pick for my next one? My second pick is a nonfiction book that I didn't think I was going to like. Actually, it's called. My Friend Anne Frank by Mm. Hannah Pick Gosler. And it's nonfiction, and she was friends with Anne Frank when they were little. And I have to confess, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, she's, like, cashing in on this. (laughs) Like, she was in the same grade as me for, like, a day or something. Right. Um, But no, they were friends. They have photos. They went to each other's parties. Um, She remembers her vividly. You know, obviously, she would know she was going to become kind of worldwide kind of famous and even almost like a uh, emblematic of the Holocaust. But what I found fascinating is she tells her story. You know, they were in Amsterdam, she and her family, and she was young, a young girl as well. And she actually gets sent to concentration camps. They were able to stave it off for a while because her father had some position that kind of gave him some immunity. But it's so riveting. You know, she's just telling her story about what happened in her life and obviously she survives, but just the stuff she describes, it's weirdly not as horrific as you would think and as other things I've read have been. Um but because there's some everydayness, but she also speaks of how people are kind to each other and they help each other out when they're sick. And I just thought it's so I don't know, if it just it 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 made me feel more present to Amidst the horror of something I could never comprehend, people doing things I can understand, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really well-written, and you get a real sense of her life. My Friend Anne Frank by Hannah Pick Goslar.
0: That sounds great. When was that written? All right. My third pick is also nonfiction, and it is about the city where I now live. But one (sighs) does not need to... uh, live in the city for this to be a great book. It's called The Lost Sons of Omaha, Two Young Men in an American Tragedy by Joe Sexton. And the premise of this book is uh, the true story that in um, the summer of 2020, after George Floyd was murdered, and we had uh, a lot of protests throughout the country, there was a protest in Omaha, where a white business owner who was a veteran, ended up like, quote unquote, defending his property and killing a young black man who was uh, protesting at a Black Lives Matter protest that had become very chaotic. As it turns out, so this journalist, he was a journalist from the New York Times. I forget who he was writing for when he was approached, but somebody from Omaha approached him and just said like, there is a story here about race in america and how we tell stories about race and how social media influences what we think we know about the truth. And so this journalist came and like both of the families um the the man who killed the young man in the protest ended up dying by suicide <gasps> after it, like as this whole thing just he fled omaha and it there he was probably going to have to come back and be tried. And it was just tragic. And both families gave this journalist an amazing amount of access to their lives and to the stories of their sons. And it's just tragic. And it's not, I think when I told people about it at first, the criticism was, well, I don't want like a both sides story. Like, I don't want to hear that both, like, I don't want because you know how sometimes when it comes to these things, there's like this both sides ism of like, um, well, wait, you've got to hear it from the other side. You've got to hear it from the other side. And he doesn't try to do that. Like he doesn't give equal play to both sides of the story necessarily. He just explains what he learns. And one of the things that he learns that honestly was life changing for me because I lived here when this happened was that a lot of the information that was shared specifically on social media was incorrect and was made up and Mm -hmm. was knowingly made up. And I know that I participated in that. Like after reading this book, I know that I shared on Facebook things that were not true. It's really good. It's very challenging. And I thought it was really well done. The Lost Sons of Omaha by Joe Sexton.
1: Wow. So when you, uh, just a follow-up question, if I may, when you talk about the social media misinformation that was put out there. Was it basically to try to smear one side or the other? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's not cool. And you're right. I mean, I think that happens. That happens. You know, you, you participate in it or you, you share something or you, you know, take that information as valid and form opinions about, about the situation because of it. I like like your picks better than I like mine.
0: I like your picks.
1: (laughs) So I'm not going to do. Uh, the Angel of Rome and other and other stories by Jess Walter, because that was on a previous podcast episode where we talked about our favorite thing of the year. Okay. Well, a
0: couple of my books are going to be ones that we talked about on other, on other pods, and I'm just going to say that.
1: Okay, I'm just okay. going to say I've
0: already talked about this on the pod.
1: Okay, well, I want to be able to pick something else, so I'm not going to pick it. <laughs> Because I've already talked about it. And, yeah. But just so you know, Jess Walters, The Angel of Rome and Other Stories was one of my favorite books. But instead, I will pick, okay, it's it's called, it's by Ed Yong, and it's called An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal a Hidden World Around Us. You talked about that on the pod. I actually did talk about it on the yeah, pod. That was um, good. Oh, well, I'm going to talk about it again. Yeah, so and and what I've what I've learned, one thing I learned about this is nonfiction, some books you really should read and not listen to, because this book is full of so much fascinating information about the animal kingdom, that um, you kind of need to sit with it, you kind of need to reread it, it's not a narrative book, um, you know, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's just he's exp- he's expounding upon the miraculousness of how animals communicate, hunt, raise offspring, uh, all these things. And the reason, you know, I almost liked it more after the fact. At the time, I thought, well, this is just getting repetitive. And I got, you know, I speeded up on the audio book. But by the end, I thought, you know, that was a really important book. Um, I don't think about nature that much. Mm-hmm. I don't think about animals that much. And I, I think probably most human beings don't. And I just want to say, I, I've, since that book, I have been a little more aware of things in the world. So, for example, if I may, I don't know, he talked about octopuses, I think, in the book. But uh, shortly after that, I read a book. It's a novel called Remarkably, Remarkably Bright-, Bright Creatures. <laughs> Right. And it's kind of a goof. It's like a thinking octopus. You know, you get to know what the octopus Octopus is kind of this.
0: That was a lot of people's best book of the year. Really? Yes. People oh. loved that book. It's like oh, the really? most checked out library book in America or something.
1: Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, I listened to the audiobook of Remarkably Bright Creatures, and it's about this octopus in an aquarium who basically helps a, a woman reunite with, well, with another person in In her life, kind of thing. It made me think about these animals. These octopuses are amazing. Then I read The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery on audiobook, and it's nonfiction. And she basically is in an aquarium place in Boston or something. And she makes, she gets these relationships with these octopuses. She goes in every week, they touch her, she learns from them, she, you know, cares about them. And it made me really think about these animals as having. You know, sentience and souls. I mean, this. she says, I am convinced that animals have souls. Mm. This animal had emotions. It had affection. It remembers you, all this stuff. There's so many fascinating things about how animals do things in the world. You would never imagine. I think a book like this is important because it reminds us to kind of look outside ourselves a little more. I and mean, I get so caught up in just the stuff of being a human being. But these animals are living alongside us, and they deserve kind of respect. They deserve to be, you know. They don't have to have souls. They don't have to think and love. They just get to be kind of regarded. I've joined the Monterey Bay Aquarium as a result. I think of this book. I was there just a week ago for like five hours, just enchanted. I don't know. I think it's 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 going to open up. I think I'm probably going to be dealing with books and nature books about nature and animals more in my future because it sparked something in me. And I'm going to go to aquariums. The zoos are still too depressing for me. Mm. I get really sad for the animals. Um, but Ed Yong, an immense world, how animal senses revealed the hidden world around us was one of my favorite reads of the year. Oh.
0: Well, when you come to visit me in Omaha, we can go to the aquarium.
1: I would. We love- have
0: a great aquarium, which is at our zoo, which is, uh, regarded as the best zoo in America, so it might not depress you because the animals are really well cared for, but the aquarium is amazing.
1: Oh, terrific. Yeah. Well, thank you, Liz. That's my third pick.
0: That sounds great. I'm going back and forth. I'm going back and forth because I know what my number one is. Oh. But, um
1: I wasn't doing mine in any order.
0: I, I wasn't either, but I just remembered like, oh, I have a number one, which I've already talked about in the pod. I think I'm going to make a recommendation that this is not the best like literature that I've read all year, but I think there's some merit to it. Okay, And so I will recommend it to people. And it's um, Mad Honey by Jodi Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan. And Jodi Pico is a big contemporary fiction author. She writes um, a lot and her books always explore often explore sort of like moral themes. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Mm -hmm. Finney Boylan is also um, a novelist. And I read one of her books because um, several years ago, I participated in the read harder challenge and one of the prompts was read a mystery or thriller by a trans or non-binary author. And I was like, Whoa, that's specific. And thank God for Jennifer Finney Boylan who writes mysteries and thrillers and is a trans author. (laughs) So this is a book. um, It's a collaboration between the two of them and it all, it is sort of, there is a mystery involved, but um, it is about a, a love story of two young people, teenagers that ends tragically and, I don't want to get into it too much, except to say that if there are people in your life who can handle a mystery book where there is violence, so that's one category, who are still really in the learning and discovery phase about issues around um, trans identity and especially trans youth, I think that this is a good and compassionate introduction to that. I've, it's not perfect. No book is that deals with any sort of issue. I think the fact that Jody Pico partnered with um, a trans author. In fact, I think that the way this book was written, I think, is that Jennifer Finney Boylan had a dream where she co-authored a book with Jodi Pico. And then she wrote on Twitter the next morning, I had a dream, da, 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 whatever. And Jody <laughs> Pico tweeted back, like, give me a call like we can do this. No. And so they did and they partnered on this book. And um, I just, my sister-in-law recommended it to me. And as I read it, I just realized that for folks who may not be quite comfortable participating in a public discourse around trans rights issues, especially as it relates to children and youth, this might be a good way to learn a lot. So I recommend it, Mad Honey by Jodi
1: Pico. Mad Honey and Jennifer Finney Boylan. Yes. Um, Jennifer Finney Boylan uh, is or was a writer for The New York Times.
0: Yes. Yeah. Does Jennifer fin- Yeah, she's also a journalist. Yeah.
1: It's interesting to me that you you chose this as one of your top five, mm-hmm. and but a lot of what you were just saying, is it's it's not the best written book. It's not the best written book. Well, oh, and there are some things about it and there are some things about it, but obviously something really spoke to you.
0: Yeah, I think that what was interesting for me was that um, I, you know, I live in a state where there is a lot of really problematic legislation about trans healthcare for children. Well, and unfortunately, I think for adults, um, but for children in particular. And I found that those when I had those conversations with people who have not met any trans youth or even any trans adults, it was just a very hard to be like, let's start at A and go all the way to Z. And you know how it is like when you meet someone in your life who has a certain identity, it opens up your mind and your heart to understanding it more. One way to do that is through literature, I think. Mm-hmm. And so if there is not a trans youth in your parent or your aunt and uncle or your, you know, whoever and someone in your life, if they don't have a trans youth in their life, this might be a way to meet somebody.
1: Well, thank you, Liz. Um, so that was your fourth pick, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to if if I had to pick one as my number one pick and it wasn't Jess Walter's book, because that sort of was, um, I would pick probably the as meat loves salt by Maria mm-hmm. McCann. it's just so immersive in another world, but I didn't do anything in any order. So I've got two more.
0: Yeah. You have two more Okay. <laughs> for a Greg. <laughs> this is going to be the long, we're supposed to do like 20 minute podcasts for a pocket colors book club.
1: Well, you know, sorry. I don't know. What this, sorry, sorry, Greg. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're doing our best here. Um, okay. Well, this will be easy. This is kind of, okay. Here's the book. The book is called The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser. And I cannot remember what it's about. But I remember reading it. I just looked it up really quickly and read a review of it, and I still can't totally remember it. But I remember reading it and thinking, this is a really well-written book. She is a great writer, and she's spot on you know like everything she says feels right and i don't know if that's because like she and i like i agree with the stuff she says it's a memoir in kind of essays and apparently what i just read in the review is that uh she, the the main story the crane wife uh was a viral sensation something or other and then she made it into a bigger book but it's it's really well written and it's good the one story or essay i do remember is a longish one where she talks about the movie The Philadelphia Story mm. and Catherine Hepburn, Hep- Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and Jimmy Stewart. And she talks about the character Catherine Hepburn plays and the choices that were available to her in terms of the men that she could choose because they were two archetypes: right? the Jimmy Stewart guy or the Cary Grant guy, and um, the kind of careers that she could pick. And she takes that stuff. She does this in more than one of the essays. She takes something from pop culture and applies it to her own life and the mistakes she's made or the path she's taken or not taken. And it's just brilliant. And I wish I could tell you more about it, but it's one of those books where I thought that's one of the best books I've read all year and cannot kind of remember the specifics. So I'm definitely going to go back to it, but I, I saw it on a couple of other best of lists from different critics and so I thought, well, I must be right. I do want to go back and maybe read the maybe the actual book itself instead of the audiobook. But the Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser—it's mem- a memoir in essays—and she is sharp. She's someone you really want to hang out with, and she she goes deep. You know, she really talks about her own kind of insecurities and failings and hopes, and you know, but you just you just really want to hang out with her and and root for her that sounds great oh it's it's so good it's it's really good it's one of those books where you remember where you were when you Mm -hmm. do it kind of thing i love that walking the trail that day when she was talking about Catherine hepburn and it totally like transformed that hike you know oh i love that all right what's your fifth one
0: All right. My fifth one is also my favorite one. I'm not alone in this. I've talked about it on the pod and it is, and you've read it too. It's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, which is so good. You can go back and listen to previous podcasts, but basically it's a long, lovely story about two friends who make video games together and it's just beautiful.
1: Yeah. And you, I mean, what a, Funny premise. Yes.
0: I never, if just reading the cover, I would have never thought that I would have liked it. I know nothing about video games. I don't care. And it was so immersive and beautiful. And the plot was kind of elegant but complicated. And it's a um, it's a platonic love story, which you don't get that often. A really passionate, beautiful love story about two friends. In a, we're engaged in creative work together.
1: It's so yeah. good. It is so good. I did read that. I did love it, and it was surprising and sad. Yes. I mean, oh yeah. Oh, you know, it's like come on, come on, do this thing and not that one. Yeah. I know. That's it. That's all you're gonna that's say. It.
0: That's it. I would. That's all I'm gonna say. And I still have a recommendation to make later.
1: Oh my gosh, what have we been? going? Is it two hours now? We've been. Oh my talking? god.
0: Well, we spent oh. the first hour.
1: Talking smack, so. That's not on the video. That's <laughs> not on the box. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my fifth and final choice, I am stuck. Okay. Okay, it's not going to be that exciting. It's going to be anticlimactic because uh, this is a book that came out a long time ago and I never got to read until I finally heard the audiobook this year. Uh, and I'm sure you've read it years ago. Um, Anne Patchett's Bel Canto.
0: I've never read, I don't think I've ever read any Ann Patchett.
1: Oh, I know. I know. What is, Easton? what is going on? I know. What? Okay, well, so Bel Canto, I don't know, it was written in like the 90s, I think. I'm not going to I'm going to do the nutshell of a nutshell. People get taken hostage in a South American country uh at a very elegant party and basically they're they're in this mansion, this governor's mansion for uh, weeks and weeks together and they all bond you know, and it's about the relationships and the struggles and why the terrorists do what they do and the people who are not, who are the hostages and their lives and how they've messed things up. And just, it's such a human story and it's fun and it's interesting and you really root for things to work out for people. Uh, but it does end violently, um, which I think you sort of know from the beginning, but it's a beautifully written book. It's, um, it's about opera, like the main character is an opera singer, the magic of the art of, you know, how art transcends politics mm-hmm. in some ways, because the the gift she has, she winds up just kind of singing when they're taken hostage and all the, the terrorists just become enchanted with her. And, you know, it's just all this stuff mixed in. Uh, it's a beautiful, sad story. It's just so it's so human. You know, it's sort of the opposite of the book where you hate everyone in it. Yeah. You know, you sort of kind of love everyone in it, or at least you understand why they act the way they do. So Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. If you have not read it, read it. Ann Patchett, I think, is a very good writer. She's a almost, I almost say, great writer. And she can write about, this is like a real, you know, hook, right? Hostage taking. Mm -hmm. But the other books I've read of hers, of course, I can't remember the name of the one I loved. Not a lot happens, but it's it's a it's a whole world in a family, mm-hmm. you know. So
0: her most recent book, um, Tom Lake, Tom Lake, everyone is going crazy about. Yeah. She's on TikTok, or the, the bookstore that she owns in Nashville is on TikTok. And she recently went through like all of her books that have been banned by like schools and stuff. And just with like little quips. And when she got to Belcanth, she was like, I guess you like terrorism. And <laughs> she like, moved on to the next one. It was she's like, I don't know. I guess, I guess you're for terrorism,
1: right? Right. Yeah. yeah she's yeah. She, uh, there's that's someone I'd like to read all of her all of her books. Yeah,
0: they're mm-hmm. all so different. I mean, plot wise, I've just heard. You know, I know what they're about.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's 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 it. We we did our top. We did it. We did our best of. Take that, New York Times. New York, New York, bland times. Um, Okay, so we each have a book to recommend, right? Yes, yes, as we always do.
0: I would love to go first. Um, So my recommendation, again, not for everyone. If you don't like violence, can't handle the dark, then don't read this book. Uh, But it's Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll. And last year I read her novel, Luckiest Girl Alive, which is about a girl who survives a school shooting. It was very good very nuanced like much different than what i expected when i picked it up at like the airport and bright young women is um it is based on the murders that ted bundy committed at a sorority house in florida and however they never mention ted bundy she never mentions ted bundy by name he's called the defendant throughout the entire book the book it's a fictionalization um i think with a ton of liberties and it it begin it is about a woman who survived that event at her sorority house a college aged girl and then um it sort of jumps back and forth in time from her life as a woman in her 60s reflecting back on this like incredibly formative experience as a young college student and it's just, it's incredibly beautiful. And um, you, and I just gave it to a friend who didn't know until she got to the afterword that it was about Ted Bundy. Like she had no clue. I happen to know a lot about Ted Bundy because I grew up in the Pacific Northwest with parents who were, you know, college students at the time that he was killing college students in Seattle. You don't need to know anything about Ted Bundy. The What is so beautiful about this book is that it very, I think... Um, hopefully tells this story that I think a lot of people can have trouble reconciling that sometimes a very traumatic experience is a thing that creates creates something beautiful in ourselves, how we get through it, how we grow. And part of what this woman reflects on is if this had not happened to me, I can imagine the woman I would have become who maybe didn't have the grit, didn't have the, um, esteem and the, like she gets through this hard thing and it's really a reflection on complex grief. And, um, it's very beautiful. It has some great feminist themes that are worth reflecting on and how the media reported about Ted Bundy, for example. And, and it's just, I just thought it was beautiful. I want to recommend it to everybody, but it is really um, obviously, there are aspects of very, very troubling violence in it.
1: Right, right. So say the
0: name of the book again. Uh, Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll.
1: And I'm sorry, it's based on the Ted Bundy murders, but was she actually a survivor of that? Or-
0: so I guess the author read, and there is there was a woman at the sorority house who saw him. Leave the building. And she ended up, um, nobody, well, a lot of people didn't believe her testimony. They thought, you know, eyewitness testimony is often incorrect, but they were like, but she stuck to her guns, the real life woman, and all up until she um, testified in court in front of him and like pointed at him and named him and was like, I am certain that that is the man that I saw. And a few years ago, that woman was interviewed in a lengthy interview in Rolling Stone. And I guess um, this author read that and was really, like, moved by it and reached out to mm-hmm. to the woman, the survivor, and just said, like, is this okay if I explore this in fiction, if I try to do that? And she said she gave her blessing and ended up being a resource as she wrote it. And I think there's a time, I mean, it really is fictionalized. like. I think okay. that the character that she created based off of this person is not the only thing that is true is that she saw Ted Bundy leaving her sorority house. Everything else is um fiction for that character. But
1: Okay. I'm just wondering how, how, how do you how do you write about complex grief and getting past that if you haven't experienced it? Right. Um, and maybe this woman who went through the experience was a resource for I
0: that. think so, yeah.
1: Wow, that's great.
0: It's really, really good. It's not at all what I expected.
1: It it was very good. Yeah. Well, my book, uh, my book pick is also about a serial killer. Oh, great. Just a little escapism from the real world. You know, I usually don't like these kind of books because they're too intense. Uh, But this one is by a a writer named S.A. Cosby, and it's called All the Sinners Bleed. And it came out last year. And the reason I even wanted to listen to it on um, the audiobook is that I'd, I'd heard raves about it, first of all. But S.A. Cosby wrote another book that I actually have the actual book but haven't yet read called Razorblade Tears, which mm-hmm. came out maybe three years ago. But let's just say the, the plot of that book really got me interested in him. It's basically a gay couple gets murdered and their two fathers
0: yes. are both
1: homophobes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Get together to try to find the killers. Yes, I mean
0: that's that's I, a great
1: premise. Yeah, great premise. So all the sinners bleed is not that book, but it also involves race. Uh, it's in this takes place in the South, um, and it involves really gruesome kind of stuff. The thing is, though, it kind of all happens off stage. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not there when the killer is doing the awful things you sort of see the aftermath or you get the sense of an awful thing that happened. And it's dark. It's just, it's nasty, but the sheriff of the town is a black man and he's the first black man. That's, you know, been elected sheriff. And there's a lot of race stuff and people in the town. It's a small town in Richmond, Virginia. You know, the the white folks don't like that the black guy is the sheriff, but he's, he's a great character. He's complicated. He's got these, this past love, this current love, a father, a brother—you know—all that backstory stuff that makes that makes books like this so so interesting. So and there's so there's definitely the awful stuff happening in the town, and there's also some stuff about the town itself having a dark past. There've been lynchings and burnings of neighborhoods and stuff in its past. But I really wanted him to survive, you know, this all this stuff because you sort of fall in love with the character, um, and that was scary. You know, because what if he doesn't? And who's who's going to get killed next? Because you sort of love his dad and you love his girlfriend. And oh, no. And I don't read a lot of books like this. And so uh, it was quite riveting and satisfying. So that's that's really all I can say about it. It it stays with you. It's, it's a, you know, a little nightmarish, ish but uh, terrific. All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby.
0: I've heard great things about that author. I haven't read either of those books, but they both sound great.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, that's it. Everybody has 12 books now they can read because of this Yes, think about that. One a month, people. Yep, you can do it. And then you'll be just like us.
0: Do you know what? I read a statistic that um, if you read 50 books a year, you're in the 99th percentile of readers in America. And listen to this. If you read one book a year, you're in the 50th percentile. So 50% of Americans don't read one book a year. And I've, I've read before a statistic about people who never read another book after high school and it's really, really high, like really, really high. And so I'm not here to shame anyone, but I'm just saying, get it. Like, I think people are intimidated by reading sometimes, or you haven't read a lot since maybe you were in school or maybe when you were in school, it wasn't a pleasant experience or whatever, but we're here to tell you, just read what sounds good. Pick up something that sounds good. Totally,
1: there's yeah. so many different books out there. Yeah. Well, that's that is that's that's might be the most depressing thing about this episode. Where you just said,
0: "Well, we're evangelists. We're reading evangelists.
1: We are. We want to. We want to transform and convert." And I
0: wasn't always a huge reader. I don't think it took me a little while after getting out of seminary to begin reading for fun again.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: sometimes you burn out in school from
1: all that reading. Sure. No, absolutely. Uh, I think for me, having a commute and listening to audiobooks has been a real saving grace. I used to think there was never time to read, you know, because so my my time management skills are not that good. And on top of that, the job is really busy. But um, I've come to find that sitting down with a book with, you know, you light a candle, you start reading, it's rejuvenating. You it know. is.
0: And if you just read 20 minutes a day, like, I forget, someone did the math once. Like, you end up reading, like, dozens and dozens of books if you can read 20 minutes a day. Sure. And I think of all the Netflix I
1: watch, you know? Yeah, yeah that's right, Liz. Yeah. But you read a lot, too.
0: So. I do read a lot. But I'm just saying that you can find 20 minutes a day.
1: That's right. Darn it. Okay, well, that's our episode. Thanks very much for, for joining us for the first PCBC of 2024, Uh, you you now have your marching orders with books to read, all different (laughs) kinds, uh, recommended by two great readers, I think. Yes. All right. So get out there. Let us know what you think of what you've read. Send us your own picks. Why not? Uh, You can email us. You can go to our website and leave a message, poppingcollarspodcast.com. That's right. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We know we've got listeners out there because every once in a while we hear from them. So that's it. Thank you, Liz. Thank you,
0: Ricardo. Yes. Thank you, Greg.
1: Thank you, Greg, for the all the editing you're gonna have to do. Um, and everybody uh, enjoy, read up, and keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. We did it. We did
0: it. Sorry, that was Greg. A pop sorry Greg you
1: know it's <clears throat>
0: okay people who are into it are into it you know
1: exactly people who are into it here's the thing people love us we've been told this remember obviously yes
0: <laughs> they obviously do well
1: you know what he's gonna keep this in the freaking pocket it's not like <laughs> no
0: don't keep it in the podcast
1: we're not narcissists <laughs> no oh okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna turn off the recording yeah please bye Greg bye Greg I'm giving you